You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Michelle, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, it's fantastic to have a different perspective because I've spent the last few weeks recording a lot of episodes from our ETF mini-series to been uh, an informed consumer of financial news. We even talked about investing moats. And so I was feeling like everything was a little bit investing heavy. And sometimes we need to step back a bit and actually go, why are we doing this thing? Why are we investing? What is the reason behind our financial goals? Why are we putting money in super? What do we actually want to do with our life? And one of our big aims of the podcast is to help people invest their time and their money better. And I really want to focus on the time and how we use it today. And so I've got someone a little bit different on the show, Michelle, today to talk about everything from how we're actually building a life that we love, goal setting, using our time, habits, and all sorts of fun stuff. So hopefully you enjoy this slightly different episode. Um, And I guess to kick it off, Michelle, are you able to tell me a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So my name's Michelle. I am a content creator primarily on YouTube and I create content mainly about self-compassionate productivity for people who have big goals, things that they want to work towards, but maybe struggle with consistency and getting things done. Wonderful. And I think that's a really good perspective as well, because there's a lot of that hustle culture you see online. That's just, you got to do a million things in the day and you don't really know why you're doing all these different things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very anti-hustle culture, much more about self-kindness, taking it slow and not getting things done for the sake of getting things done, but getting things done with a purpose. Yeah. And it is so important to be kind to yourself when you're designing your life, when you're designing your financial goals and working towards all this. But Michelle, what does a good day look like to you? So if we're talking a good day on a weekend, it's going to involve a little nature walk. There's definitely going to be a beach. I'll be having a juice. I'll grab a fantasy book, maybe some takeaway. A good day on a work day is a day when I wake up and I'm like very, very excited about what I have on for my day. So I'm looking forward to the work that I'm going to be focusing on. Uh, Usually it's filled with meaningful progress. I find that the days where I have meaningful progress in my days are my better days. I end the day feeling really fulfilled and lots of breaks, 
a few work cycles, finishing the day on time, and probably finishing with a book or a Netflix show. Mm, I love that. A lot of things that I like doing, I love reading fantasy books. Um, But you you mentioned meaningful progress. And I think sometimes we get to the end of the day and we go, I spent all the day at the computer in the office and I don't think I actually did anything or made any progress towards any work goals, any personal goals. And it can feel a bit like you're just repeating each day. How do you like measure meaningful progress towards your goals? So I am someone who has a bit of a system around my goal setting. And what I like to do are weekly check-ins. I set three goals at a time usually. So I work in like quarterly batches when it comes to my goal setting, which I find keeps me focused. And it also shortens the time um, in which I can achieve my goals so that I'm more likely to move towards them with ease. Uh, So I'll do a little weekly check-in usually with my sister and we'll talk through our goals and ask each other how we're going. If we're on track, if we're still enjoying our goals, if there's anything that we may need to change, and that's probably the primary way that I um, track my progress when it comes to goal setting. Okay. So you actually use someone else to check in with you. Yes, big on a little bit of accountability, gentle accountability, um, but having that check-in just to remind you of even what your goals are because it's so easy to forget um, is, is genuinely helpful. Yeah, I find I've done that in the past where I've just written a huge list of goals I want to achieve. And if I haven't actually got anyone reminding me, oh, these are your goals or any sort of system to work towards them, it just stays unchecked off on that list. Absolutely. And at the start of the year or on your birthday, on those key dates, you tend to set a ton of goals and get very excited about them. And there's so many reasons why people fall off track when it comes to their goals, whether it's just they have a few hard days um, and then it just falls off. But sometimes it simply is just about forgetting that you're even working towards anything. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but that's definitely something that I've had. And having that little intentional check-in keeps it top of mind. Yeah, I found what's helped for me is actually just writing them out and sticking them somewhere and what the plan is. Um, yes. I don't know if you can see behind me, I've got a big um, yeah, pin board, which has a lot of different pieces of paper pinned on it for anyone listening. But I do, um, I like to break them down and I'm like, what is the quarterly target or the monthly target and how am I going to get there? Um, so that actually really, really helps. And I know a lot of listeners like setting financial goals, but you can set goals in lots of areas of your life. Yeah, definitely. All the areas even. Yeah. And I think goal setting's a good place to start uh, because a lot of us will be used to setting financial goals and using that as a way to track our progress. But are there any other areas of your life that you find that it's really helpful to set goals in? Absolutely. I mean, I think that you can set goals in any area of your life, if I'm being honest. Obviously, everyone listening to your podcast would have a finance focus, um, but goals around your mental health, I think, are really important. Um, Goals around even just what you want your days to look like, goals around business, maybe, um, which is semi-related to your financial goals, Um, fitness goals, health goals. There are so many areas that you can set goals in. Do you, do you ever find that you become too focused on the goals and then you um, forget about the rest of the fun stuff in life? Oh, I don't know that I do fall into that trap, but I think it is really easy to over-focus on outcomes when really what you should focus on is the process that moves you towards those outcomes. Sometimes we get hyper-focused on the things that we want to achieve um, rather than enjoy it, creating a process of achieving those things that is enjoyable and getting the most out of the experience of working towards those goals. And that can be really unhelpful. When you tie yourself so strongly to a particular outcome, uh, you tend to beat yourself up when you don't achieve it rather than appreciating the progress that you're making. Yeah. I guess that ties into that identity piece when you're basing your identity based off that end goal rather than the process. And I know some of the listeners can get have got caught up in the past of tying their identity to a net worth goal rather than the the steps that go towards achieving that goal. Exactly. And I think when you focus more so on the process that you're moving to moving with in order to achieve that goal, it allows you a bit more flexibility too, because you can experiment. Um, not all processes work for everyone. And I imagine in the finance world, definitely that would be the case. I know 
I, I'm probably going to talk about some antiquated methods that people talk about things like the envelope method or writing down every purchase that they make at the end of the day, um, things like that. Those don't necessarily work for everyone. When you focus on the process, you can ask yourself, well, is this process working for me? Is it serving me in the way that I want to, it to? Um, does it feel enjoyable to me? Is there another process that I might follow to achieve that same outcome? Uh, we did a podcast episode recently about how you can buy happiness in your life. And we talked about some of the different ways you can spend your money to actually add a bit more happiness on things that you were probably going to buy already. And I was wondering if you had any examples in your life of where you've been able to spend money to add a bit more joy to your life. So I love this question because I'm very interested in the idea of putting my money towards things that either create convenience, create ease or create happiness. I think if you have disposable income, those are the areas where you really should be investing your money where you can. Um, so some of the biggest convenience purchases that I have that ultimately I find lead to more happiness in my life are things like I have a cleaning service. Every two weeks, someone comes for two hours. They do a clean in my house and it's good for my mental health. And I also think it's really good for my relationship, if I'm being honest. Um, I have other convenience purchases like a uh, contraception delivery service, Kinfertility. Doesn't seem like a happiness purchase, but not having to go into the doctors and get a script and then go to the chemist and go through all of that painful stuff just to get a contraception uh, prescription. Um, it just brings a little piece of happiness into my life. Um, other things that I invest in are things like a oh, Woolworths uh, unlimited delivery service. I hate going into grocery stores and not having to do that definitely brings me joy. Um, when it comes to purchases that I would say are probably more directly related to my happiness, one area where I try not to limit myself is spending money on books. I am a really big reader. Uh, nonfiction and fiction. And every morning I'm always reading a book. And if I ever read a little sample of a book, find it interesting, feel my brain buzzing, I try not to limit myself and I will spend as much money as is needed on books, which isn't as extravagant as it sounds because it's not like books are wildly expensive. Um, but having that no limit budget when it comes to books brings me a lot of happiness. Yeah, it's really interesting putting a no limit budget on parts of your life because you might really love doing something. And as soon as you're like, oh, well, I can only buy one book or whatever it is for you a month, then suddenly you feel quite constrained. And even if you take away that limit, you might only buy four books a month or something like that. But um, just having that unconstrained budget in something of an area of your life that you really love spending money on does reframe it for you. Absolutely. And one of my values is freedom. So if I feel super trapped in a lot of different areas of my life, I don't feel like I'm at my happiest. And I definitely think when it comes to money, picking those areas that bring you the most happiness and maybe not having a no budget, but having a bigger budget when it comes to yeah. those areas um, is really impactful. Yeah. I, I presume you're familiar with the work of Ramit Sethi in this space. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's very big on the reduced spending and things that don't bring you joy and spend a lot more on the things you love, which is yes. fantastic. And it's a way to use money to buy happiness. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a great philosophy. Yeah, I love that you shared some examples because I think unless we actually spend time to think about these parts of our life, we don't really, really examine where we're spending and where we want to spend more or where we want to spend less. We just kind of live on autopilot. Yeah, definitely. And I know you have a lot of thoughts on how to build a life that you love and how um, you've done that and maybe how other people in your community have. Is there any places you would start if you, someone was trying to look at their life right now and go, how can I bring a bit more intention to how I design my ideal day? Yeah, definitely. Look, I'm full of exercises when it comes to intentional living. Um, the way that I think about intentional living is that it's, Living your life, obviously, with intention and making more decisions around how you want your days, weeks, years to look rather than sliding through life. Um, if someone were to come to me and say, I just feel like I'm sliding through my life, one of the first things that I would advise that they do is sit down and decide who they want to become. I think a lot of people in the goal setting space really focus on what you want to achieve, which is important. Um, and it's great to, paint, great to paint a picture of what you want your life to look like in five years. But I think more important than that is 
figuring out who it is that you want to become. So a way that you can approach this is genuinely write down um, a list of attributes that you want to embrace in your life. If you're like, oh, I'm lost, I can't think of any attributes, a really good place to start is hop on to um, personality tests, uh, even look up the big five, and it will have a list of different types of personality traits. And Pick the ones that you resonate with the most that you're like, yes, I'd like to grow that. It might be things like lightheartedness. It might be things like perseverance, confidence, whatever it may be. And then get clear on what behaviors support those attributes and what beliefs support those attributes. So someone who is lighthearted might have a belief like nothing is nothing is personal. Nothing anyone says is personal. I don't take things personally. Um Someone who is perseverant might have a belief of mental exertion just gives me more energy. So the more I do, the more energy I get and the more I can keep on going and getting really clear on those beliefs as well as those behaviors. So you could also add in things like habits, someone who's lighthearted might have a great meditation habit and that's what keeps them lighthearted. And then from there, I would ask yourself, what's the most enjoyable way to start embracing those attributes in my life and start setting goals around that. Um, I think that's a great approach, focusing on who you want to become versus what you want to achieve, because it'll it'll end up panning out that you'll achieve the things that you want to achieve in becoming that person. Mm, so really stepping back before just jumping straight into setting all those huge list of goals, like who do you want to be? What habits do you want to have? And what what values do you want to encompass? Absolutely. And I think that that's a step that a lot of people don't take when it comes to goal setting. They just write down a list of all the first things that come to mind, which is still, you know, it's a valid thing to do. But when you get get focused and you get clear on who it is that you want to become, the life that you want to create and and those values as well, you'll find yourself setting goals that are much more aligned with you, uh, that also you are much more motivated to step into and to become consistent with because you have a clear vision of where those goals are leading you to. Yeah, I really like that and spending a bit more time thinking about it because if you just write your goals down right now, you're only going to be basing the goals off the information you have at this point in time, or maybe goals you've seen your friends or family set. And you're like, oh, I think that's a good goal to set. Buying a house is just what I'm supposed to do, right? And if you don't do that work and look backwards and maybe look forwards as well of who you want to become, your goals might not represent necessarily what you really want them to. Oh, absolutely. And I am someone who used to be terrible with this. Like when I was in my younger years, I would be looking up New Year's resolution lists of goal ideas and I'd be picking goals off a list and that never pans out. You need to create goals that come from a place of this is the person that I want to become, this is the life that I want to create um, and then choose your goals based on those visions for yourself. Yeah, it's crazy the amount of lists that exist online of like 23 New Year's resolutions, like, like you could just pick a goal off the shelf and work towards it. I know, I know. And look, I used to create those lists, so I can't be shading (laughs) anyone who looks at those lists, appreciates them, creates them, because I used to be that person. But as I've moved forward on my journey, I've realized how unhelpful those lists can be. I mean, they can be helpful to a degree, um, but for the most part, that's really not where you should start where it comes to your goal setting. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And sometimes it's good as inspiration. I mean, we've talked about setting financial goals before and some different examples. So it might s- serve as a source of inspiration, but making sure you really make it your own of whatever you choose. Exactly. Yes. And, and something that has helped me and hopefully will help others in working towards our goals, whatever they are for us, is having those positive habits that help us work towards those goals, those small things we do on a daily basis. And we often think about all the negative habits that we want to get rid of from our life. Um, And maybe we want to stop eating junk food or we want to do X, Y, Z, we stop doing all these different things, but we forget that we could actually find some positive habits and add them in. And I was wondering if you could share any sort of examples of uh, maybe a positive habit that you've set in your life and how you've sort of implemented that. 
Yes, definitely. Um, so when it comes to introducing habits into your life, I'm all about gently introducing those habits. I think uh, introducing habits on a little more slowly is a more sustainable way to bring them into your life. And I don't think that that is the way that most people go. Most people go, okay, I'm going to create a new morning routine and it's going to have five steps um, 40 minutes of exercise when I've never exercised before. And I'm going to start journaling, even though that's never a habit that I've enjoyed. Um, and that's definitely an approach that I've had in the past. So this year, actually, I decided that I was going to have an intentional morning routine and I wanted to, it to be a morning routine that I really enjoyed doing. But the place that I started was the Miracle Morning. Have you heard of the Miracle Morning? I have. It's a book I've read and not uh, sorry, I've bought and not read yet, though. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. Well, the gist of it is they have like five steps. It's scripting, meditation, visualization, you know, all of the good things that you hear about, including in a morning routine. Um, so that's where I kicked off at the start of the year. I was like, I'm going to do this uh, miracle morning. And um, I was actually doing it for content. I wanted to create a 30 days of miracle morning. Uh, but very quickly, I got to a point where I was dreading it. And I had no interest in doing my scripting or my visualization. And you get to that point where you're like almost rebelling against yourself and you're like, don't make me do this. Like, this is not enjoyable. Um, so at that point, I decided to pivot to a much more sustainable way of approaching things. And instead of picking habits off a list, almost like those New Year's resolution lists, um, I'd focus on problems that I wanted to solve and feelings that I wanted to create. And I think that that is a really good place to start when it comes to your habits. Um, most, a lot of the time we see examples of fancy morning routines. Um, if you're on TikTok, there are a lot of that girl routines or uh, productive Sunday reset routines. And we go, that's what I should be doing. But instead of having that approach, look inward and ask yourself, how do I want to feel? Uh, what problems am I trying to solve? And what habits might get me there? Um, so for example, in my morning routine, I love to learn. Learning is one of my values. And when I learn something, when I'm reading a really good book, my brain gets all buzzy. Um, it's got all of the good feelings accompanying it. Um, not only that, but reading for me solves a really strong problem. Uh, I'm a content creator. I need regular inspiration for creating my content. Um, so when I'm reading, I tend to find that I'm a lot more inspired in my day to day. So that was an easy habit to integrate into my morning routine. Another thing that I like to do when it comes to my habits is have habit tiers or habit menus, if you will. Um, so the way that I think of it is not every day are you going to show up as your highest energy self. Not every day are you going to wake up and be really pumped about life, really pumped about doing whatever habits you have in front of you. And you need to accommodate for that to expect yourself to always show up at your absolute best isn't realistic, but it's usually what people plan for when they decide on their habits, their routines. They're like, yes, I'm going to feel just as motivated in two weeks time as I feel right now as I plan this routine out. Uh, but it's not a realistic way of thinking. So a good way to get past that way of thinking is to create habit menus based on your energy um, and even based on your time. So for example, I like to, on high energy days of a morning, I'll hop up I'll do my 20 minutes of journaling. I'll chuck on a little meditation and I'll read as well. Um, I'll do all of the things because that's where I'm at. On low energy days, I don't expect that of myself. On a low energy day, all I expect myself to do is read a book. So I sort of take away those other habits and focus on maybe the most passive habit that's part of my morning routine for those low energy days. And I think having that plan in place that accommodates for your energy as well as your time can be a really helpful way to keep yourself consistent as well. Because more often than not on those low energy days, you it's very easy to just opt out and go, well, I don't feel awfully great. I'm just not going to perform that habit today. Whereas when you have a habit menu in place and you have a definite option for low energy days, it makes it much more easy to put almost like a little bookmark in mm -hmm. as like a, hey, I didn't get to it all today, but I'm still, this is still a habit that I have in my life that I am sustaining. 
Yeah. No, I like that. You're showing that it's it's still important to you and you still want to make some step towards it that day, but you've got an option and that you're not going to beat yourself up because you didn't do it. You're like, I just had to hit this bare minimum. That was my main priority and I hit it and then I, I did it. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, the next day you might have a, a day where you wake up and you're like, I'm amazing, incredible, and I can do all of the things. And you'll you'll tick off all of those habits, but don't expect yourself to do that every single day. Yeah. And I found like uh, having the bare minimum as a, like a non-negotiable each day, like during, during lockdown, it was just, I had to put my runners on and leave the house. I yes. like, didn't matter what happened after that. I just had to get out the door and that, that made it a lot more achievable to actually move. Cause if I thought of the whole thing, Oh, I've got to go outside and go for a run or go for a walk. It all seemed a bit overwhelming some days. And, but if it was just get out the door, that made it a lot more achievable because it was such a small step that I could do. Yes. And I think that the most successful people with their habits are probably the people who think less about the entirety of the habit, just like you were saying. So Mm. if you're sitting there going, I've got to go on a run, I've got to go on a run, that is very overwhelming for your brain. And it may feel like a little too much of a morning, but if you're sitting there going, well, I need to, I need to put on my shoes. I need to go out the door. I need to put on my shoes and go out the door. It's just so much more doable for your brain, especially in the morning when maybe you're not feeling it. Yeah. And just being kind to yourself there. And I guess that plays into the goals as well. Sometimes you can set really small milestones that you can tick off along your way instead of just going, I've got this huge goal that I have to reach. How am I going to get there? Yes. Yes. And that's that process focus first outcome focus too. Yeah. And what if you've been putting something off for a while? Maybe you don't have any small milestones to tick off. It's just something that you don't want to do. Maybe it's going to the doctors or sorting out your taxes or something like that. Is there any strategies that have worked for you in finding that motivation to just do that thing that you've put off for so long? Yes. So I think that everyone should have a bag of what I call resistance strategies when you are in absolute slug mode, when you simply don't feel like doing anything, uh, but you have things that you need to do in order to keep your life moving. Having a few go-to resistance strategies is very helpful. My go-tos personally are I am big on prompting myself with the question, what am I willing to do? So I'll be sitting there on my couch and I won't want to move. And I'll ask myself, well, what am I willing to do to sort of move in the direction of that task? And in that moment, I might only be willing to sit at my desk and open my email management program. Uh, And then I'll ask myself again, well, what am I willing to do at this stage? And if you sort of keep on prompting yourself with that question, taking very, very tiny steps, you'll start to get to a point where you build up momentum and you can keep on going is what I find. So it almost is what we were talking about before. It's not focusing on the whole big, scary task. It's focusing on the very small next step. And it can really be as small as you want it to be. Um, Another strategy that I really like to use is timers. I'm a big timer girl. I don't know about yourself, but if I'm struggling to get myself to do something, um, I will yell at my Google home. I won't actually say what I yell. I don't want to set off people's Google home, so, but I'll ask it to set off, set up a 10 minute timer and I'll com- commit myself to just 10 minutes of that particular task. And what I usually tell myself is, look, if after 10 minutes, you really don't feel like it, you just want to bow out, you can. But more often than not, I would say 90% of the time, unless you are genuinely low in energy, you will keep on going because you've got that momentum built up. And really, it is all about that starting point. It's getting yourself to start. Yeah. Finding that smaller step you can take in the right direction. Yes. And I think... Sorry, here you go. Oh, no, I was just going to say something like the human timer aspects worked for me with my housemate. I'd be like, uh, oh. 20 minutes, we're going to both work on this task, different tasks because we're doing different things, and then we're going to come back and check in on each other. And that's worked quite well, having that person checking yes. over you. Yes. No, that is a fabulous way to do it. I'll do that as well too. Me and my sister live together, and um, often if I don't feel like cleaning, um if I'm just like, oh, it's just a bit too overwhelming, I'll pop my head in and say, hey, Amy, like, how's your house looking? Do you want to tidy? And she'll tidy and I'll tidy at the same time. And then we'll check back in. And it just is much more pleasant when you're doing it alongside someone. Uh, A tool that I really like as well is Focusmate. Have you ever heard of it? No. 
So Focusmate is an online accountability platform. It's about $5 a month. So it's pretty inexpensive. And you can hop on there and you can book a session with someone around the world. At the start of your little Zoom, your, your call, you'll say, hey, I'm working on this. They'll say, hey, I'm working on this. And you can work on it together uh, over a video call. So sometimes if I'm feeling very demotivated to do something, what I will focus on instead is, well, what I can do is book a focus mate and I'll just focus on that. And then naturally when I show up to the focus mate, things will happen because you're sitting on a video call with someone that you've assured that you will get something done to. So <laughs> it's cool that that exists now. I know it's great. It's a really great platform and it's really popular amongst people who are neurodivergent. Lots of people with ADHD are on Focusmate. So if you have any ADHD listeners, um, yeah, you'll find heaps of people in the Facebook group as well that will share similar problems to yourself. Okay. Well, there you go. That's yeah. uh, that's interesting. So if you don't have a, a housemate or someone at home that you can uh, go, look, we're doing this task for 30 minutes. We'll check back in. Maybe you can find someone online to do that with you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's interesting. So maybe there is some theory behind what I've started to do with my, my housemate. Oh, no, there definitely is. It's actually, um, have you heard of a concept called body doubling? No. Yeah, it's uh, very big in the ADHD space. Um, I do believe that it's more talked about anecdotally. I don't know how much research has been done behind it, but a lot of people in the ADHD world talk about body doubling. It's just having someone alongside you uh, doing a task tends to naturally motivate you to complete it once again don't really know the science behind it but it is something that is discussed and talked about oh that's fascinating I'll have to do a little bit more research in there um, and and something else that kind of relevant on this point is time management and I know we can get to the end of the day and feel like oh the whole nice schedule we had for the day just turned into a complete pile because one task, stretched over time and then it became a complete mess of a day. But is there anything, anywhere we could start if we're trying to sort of manage our time a little bit better in a day? Yeah, definitely. Um, so something that I like to do on a semi-regular basis, if I'm feeling like, oof, I don't quite know where my time is going, is mapping out almost an ideal week. Um, this is not going into the specifics of what you're going to be doing in the next week. You're not saying, okay, on Thursday, I'm going to be submitting that piece, that paper. Um, it's more so saying on Monday, I will focus on um, prepping for my podcasts. On Tuesday, I'll focus on my admin, that kind of thing. Um, the way that it's best to treat this is as if it's a very rough draft rather than, okay, this is how I'm going to live from here on out. When you treat it like a rough draft and you make sure that it's very flexible and something that can be changed, um, it allows for a much more self-compassionate approach. You're much kinder to yourself when you find the first week that you try to stick to this schedule, it's not quite right. Um, alongside that, some things that I do uh, from a time management perspective are daily time blocking. So I don't practice weekly time blocking uh, for specific activities just because I find that it makes me feel a little bit trapped and it's a little bit over scheduley. Uh, but daily time blocking and having a focused idea of what my day is going to look like helps me to keep things done in compartmentalized blocks. I also tend to work in cycles. So Focusmate is a great tool for that because you can book 50 minute sessions or 25 minute sessions. And then after that, take a little break hop on another session and have a specific focus for each session that you're in. Hmm, that's interesting because I have tried the plan that time block the whole week before and then it has felt quite overwhelming because you're like, there's no time for fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you forget to schedule those small things in. You don't leave any space for the, the flexibility of life and the random things that just pop up and the conversations that might run over time. Exactly. Yeah, it's not even just, oh, I don't have time for fun. It's like, I don't have time for random things that pop up during the day that are naturally going to happen when you time block yourself and, and you're super restrictive about your time. I think it just creates more stress. So if you do time block your day, definitely time block it without an expectation of this is exactly how things are going to pan out because that's not necessarily the case. But even still going in with a plan, you are always going to be more focused. Yeah, that's no, interesting. And there's different things. I know, I don't know if you've heard of Nia Ayal, but we've spoken to him before on the podcast. And it's a really fascinating way of thinking about using your time a little bit more intentionally and not just letting it fly past you. Yeah, yes. And something else I've been thinking a lot 
recently is the idea of stepping outside your comfort zone. And I was chatting to our producer, Monique, the other day, and she was like, I always feel like I'm out of my comfort zone. Why do people keep telling me to get out of my comfort zone? I'm like permanently outside of it. But I don't know if you hear that phrase a lot in your life. Yeah, um, I definitely hear that phrase a lot. I think that it's an interesting one. Have you ever seen the little graphics of the comfort zone and then there's the stretch zone and then there's the panic zone? No, no, I haven't seen that one, but I, so I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's how I like to picture it. So really, I think that stepping out of your comfort zone is most beneficial when you're on the very edge of your comfort zone. Have you found that in your life? Yeah, no, a few things recently that have uh, definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone. Yeah, um, but it's when you take almost a few too many steps outside of your comfort zone and you enter your panic zone that I think it becomes less helpful. So for me, um, I this year, actually, I've gone down the path of setting myself little discomfort challenges. Um, so these are just personal challenges, not something that I publish online where I'll pick something that I'm like, oh, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I need to do it. Uh, I don't pick anything that's in my panic zone, um, but I will pick things that I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. I have, I've managed social anxiety and it'll usually be social anxiety about some very bizarre things. Um, but so at the start of this year, for example, I was really freaked out by the idea of going to a cafe and sitting with my little laptop and typing in public. I, You know, anyone yeah. who has social anxiety that's listening, they understand. You get into your head about these things that just don't make sense. You logically know no one's going to judge you. Um, yet still, you're like, uh, so I challenged myself every day for five days to just go to a cafe. I switched up the cafes that I went to. Um and, and just sit there for an hour, get a coffee um, and sit through that discomfort. But the way I actually started off was by going to uh, a, a local library because I was like, I'm really comfortable with the library. I I'm familiar with the library. And that was how I sort of connected it to my comfort zone in a way uh, by starting in that very safe space. And to, to be clear, after those five days, I was like, wow, that was such a ridiculous fear. And I'm completely fine with working at cafes now. But you've got to push yourself into those little discomfort moments um, in order to and, and create safe experiences in your discomfort zone as well, in order to let your brain know that those experiences are OK and grow your comfort zone a little. Yeah. And those small challenges are, are really important because you can apply in all areas of your life, including your finances, where you just start with something small that might be familiar and you're comfortable with and you just slowly make it a little bit harder each time. And so you don't just go from zero to a hundred, you just take small steps upwards. Yeah, definitely. And the more that you can connect it to something that is already safe, that already feels comfortable for you um, initially, I think the easier it is to keep on taking little steps out. The more safe experiences you build, the more safe it feels to step another another little little bit out. Yeah. I mean, things before that have scared me, I might go, okay, I'll do it, but I'll make sure I bring a friend with me for the first time and then I can yes. do it by myself or I'll make sure someone like someone I know is there or something I've done the research beforehand. So I feel a little bit less nervous going to this situation. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I actually read in a book recently, it was a book about dating anxiety. I've been in a relationship for nine years and I just thought, what an interesting topic. Uh, and they said that when it comes to anxiety in situations, um, what you're best to do is actually push yourself into the situation until you get to at least a 50% reduction in your anxiety in that situation. Um, and then you can leave. So that's a, another good benchmark that you can use. Just be like, okay, do I feel like I'm sort of, you know, feeling at least 50% more calm? Um, and then maybe you can take yourself out of that uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Cause I, I wouldn't want to be in that uncomfortable zone the whole time. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just taking small steps. Uh, like every day, one doing one thing that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but in a safe way. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you build those little moments up and they feel safe, uh, the easier it'll be. Yeah. And it's just those little bits that add up over time, just like getting started with your finances. It's small bits, lots of times, and you just do have to take that first step off. And that can be the, the most scary part. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, I, I watched one of your videos about your life admin day, and I thought that was a fantastic idea because I try to do it every so often and it often falls to the back of the list um, because there's a lot of those tasks that you just don't want to do, whether it's 
fixing your washing machine or finally logging into your share registry. There's a lot of stuff that you just push off. And I know you've got some strategies for putting your life admin today day together. And like, what are some of the things you do during that? Yeah. So life happen day is something that I like to do maybe once a month, once every two months, depending on how I'm feeling. And basically it is a day filled with all of the tasks that I'm avoiding. Usually they're small tasks, things like fixing the washing machine or um, setting up a bank account, things like that, that are just so easy to push off. The way that I like to approach it is I'll do a huge brain dump of absolutely anything that's on my mind. When I do a brain dump, I like to walk through my house, whether that's physically or mentally, uh, look at all of the different spaces. Usually just doing that will prompt you to think of so many little things that you need to do. Another thing that you can do is also walk through your body. So think from the top of your head down to the bottom of your feet. There are probably appointments that you need to book. Um, It might be doctor's appointments. It might be pamper appointments, um, but get all of those thoughts out of your mind and onto paper. I actually have on my channel a guided brain dump. It's called uh, watch this if you're overwhelmed or something like that. So if you're like, I don't know where to start where it comes to a brain dump, that's somewhere you can visit. Um, so do a big brain dump, get all of those tasks down. The next thing I like to do is actually categorize them so that I can batch things. So usually there's lots of things like phone calls and you can batch those. So categorize those together. I use David Allen categories. So there's computer, anything you do at your computer, anything that you do at home, so little home tasks um, and errands, so anything that's out and about. Categorizing them just makes the day easier. On a life admin day, I'll usually kick off with easier things that are momentum builders. So I might do like a little tidy just to get myself into the mood because, you know, you've got to set the scene. And then I will kick off with Phone calls would be my preference, but I think everyone's different. When it comes to phone calls, some people find that really anxiety inducing and it's difficult for me. It's just like bang, 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 and it makes me feel productive. And I think having your day structured like that, so that you're getting lots of little wins done first, uh, creates that momentum to keep you going, even though these aren't tasks that you necessarily enjoy doing. It still feels good to get them done. Uh, that would be my approach to a life admin day. And I don't put too much pressure on myself as well. A lot of these tasks are things that truly you could leave them for a year and it wouldn't have a severely negative impact on your life unless it's like booking a doctor's appointment, which is clearly important. Um, but I just try to get as much done as I can in one day. And some people find that a bit overwhelming. So if you're like, oh God, that just is too much, try booking in maybe a life admin hour where you do something similar uh, and take baby steps towards getting those tasks done instead. Yeah, I could imagine after doing your house and your body check, you might have quite a long list and it could be like, oh, this is a bit more than one day or there's some things that can only be done on a certain day of the week here. Exactly. And especially if it's not something that you've done before, you probably will come up with a really big list. So don't put too much pressure on yourself. Um, I often will have heaps of tasks left over that I'm like, well, I'll get to that on my next life admin day. It's not pressing. It's not urgent. Um, But I still want it to get done. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you feel a lot of guilt if you've got those tasks left on the list, if you wanted to get them all done and it's been, okay, this can happen in the next week and I'll, I'll schedule time for that. Exactly. Yeah. And one other thing you you do, which was quite interesting when I saw it and I hadn't thought of it that way, is doing a life audit. I mean, I thought of the concept of like doing a financial audit and looking at where my money is and is that in the right place and do I want to make any changes, but actually looking at your life in a similar way. Are you able to share how you do a life audit? Yeah. Look, Sometimes my life audits can be a little intensive, especially if we get around the new year period, um, just because I'm into it. You know, this is the world that I'm in. But a few activities that I really like to do when it comes to a life audit is a values check-in. So if you don't know your values, there are plenty of assessments online that you can do to help you to find your values. Um, Another thing that you can do is sort of reflect back on times in your life where you've felt strongly about things. Usually that will be indicative of your values. Um, And something that is relatively consistent in my life, and I think in the lives of most people, is that if you're not living in line with your values, you're generally going to be a less happy individual. And doing a little check-in, writing down your values, rating yourself out of 10 on how aligned you are with those values in this moment 
can be a real eye-opener. Maybe you haven't been feeling your best lately and you're not totally sure why. If you sit down and you do this activity, you'll be like, oh, you know, I haven't actually done any, been growing lately. I haven't actually been learning lately. Or um, yeah, my connection bucket is really empty, depending on what your values are. And that is a really helpful exercise to sort of get you back on track. Another exercise that I love, and it's very simple, is a start-stop list. So it is as simple as it sounds, just writing down a little list of things that you'd like to start, things that you'd like to stop. What I usually do on top of that is write down immediate things that I could do to help myself to start or stop those things. This sounds very basic, but every time that I do it, I take some kind of action towards starting or stopping those activities. I don't expect myself to necessarily cease everything and kick off all of these beautiful new habits. Uh, but it always pushes me in the right direction. Um, I have so many other activities that I could talk to. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, a good activity that I like doing at the start of the year, so probably at maybe more significant times of year, is an anti-vision. Uh, an anti-vision is a term that I coined and it is what it sounds like. It's the opposite of a visioning exercise. So a lot of people talk about visioning, which is creating this, you know, vision of what your life looks like in five years time. Where do you live? Who are you surrounded by? What have you achieved? Et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that's a really great activity to do maybe alongside your anti-vision. Uh, and anti-vision is the opposite of that. So instead of thinking about what is the most beautiful version of my life in five years? Think about what would the worst version of my life look like in five years time? And this doesn't mean thinking, well, maybe in five years time, we have another pandemic and um, <laughs> there's a global crisis. That That's not, not the line that we're going down. <laughs> um, some people are like, wait, I don't understand. You know, does everyone die? No. Um, think what would the worst version of my life look like in five years in terms of Imagine you never work on your anxiety. Imagine that you never work on your social confidence or you never work on the project that you've had in the back of your mind for however long. Um, maybe you keep on performing your days in the way that you are now. What does your life look like in five years because of that? Um, and when you write out that vision, it actually can be a little bit emotional. And that's the comments that I've gotten on that particular exercise. Uh, it feels a bit frightening to put that kind of thing down on paper. Um, and I don't have any research to back this at all, but I find that having something that you want to avoid can be a bigger driver than having something that you want to move towards. And I think that is the nature of the human brain. We tend to want to avoid pain rather than seek out pleasure. And when you have this clear idea of exactly what you do not want your life to look like, your brain almost goes into, oh God, we need to avoid that mode. And you'll start finding yourself, uh, maybe subconsciously, maybe actively thinking of things that you can do to make sure that that vision doesn't come to life. And you can accompany that vision with little steps that you can take as well to avoid that vision from coming to life. And you'll find yourself taking action on those steps with a bit more ease since you've got this mental picture of what you do want to avoid. Yeah. And that it doesn't have to be a negative thing creating the future you don't want to achieve because yeah. sometimes it can feel really overwhelming to go, what do I want to do in five or 10 years? Like a friend was telling me recently, oh, you should do like a three, five, 10, 20 year plan. And that was like, oh, I have no idea what would go on that. But I think going, well, what do I not want the next five or 10 years to look like would be a much more achievable step at this point of my life. Yes. And if you don't, a lot of people are like a vision that's overwhelming. Like, yes, I don't know what I want my life to look like. I Maybe they don't even have a clear idea of what goals they want to set. Doing an anti-vision can really drive those goals as well. Because when you figure out what you don't want, it gets really, it makes it really clear what you should work towards. Yeah. And you know which direction you don't want to point your goals in. Because if you've got yeah. this anti-vision here, you'll, you know you'll want your goals to go in the opposite of that direction. Yes, exactly. I like that. I think I'm going to try that. That sounds like a good one to give a go this weekend. Yes, highly recommend. It is really good. Amazing. Michelle, you've shared so many different tips and strategies today. And I think there's something that every listener could um, just put some time in their calendar to try just one thing they've heard in the podcast today. But is there anything you want to leave listeners with if they can just take one thing away from today's podcast? 
Something that I think we've done a lot in this podcast is talk about stepping into the person that you want to become, being more productive, managing your time better, um, improving yourself. And I think all of that is really wonderful. Uh, The thing that I would want to leave people with is try to do that from a place of self-acceptance rather than self-loathing because it will fold out better that way and you will be a happier person because of it. There's a great quote that I love and it's the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. That's by Carl Rogers. And that's something that I like to keep in mind because self-improvement sometimes can get a little bit toxic and you don't need to constantly be improving yourself. You're wonderful as you are. I love that. Accept who we are, accept our past. Yes, we are enough right now, but we can change in the future if we want to. So I think that's a fantastic place to leave today's conversation. And Michelle, if people want to watch some of your fantastic videos that really elaborate on a lot of the questions and topics we talked about in today's podcast, where should they find you? Head on over to YouTube and you want to search Michelle B. So it's M-U-C-H-E-L-L-E-B and I'll be the first one that comes up. Wonderful. I'll make sure it's included in the show notes along with the resources we mentioned today. But Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today and taking on a kind of different topic with me. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.